I'm coming at ya. Back and back at ya. Say it with a smash up. Coming at ya. Coming at ya. Bounce down disaster. Coming at ya. Back and back at ya. Say it with a smash up. Coming at ya. And with that beat, hello and welcome to Wing Focus. I am Rom Gaioso, your host. In today's show, we are welcoming a distinguished member of the World Future Studies Federation, WFSF. We're speaking with Jerome Glenn from the Millennium Project about the Work Technology 2050 report. So stick around. Well, uh, before I get started, let me see a few words about the show and why we're here. So in focus, this show is a partnership between WFSF and yours truly, Futures Television. We're joining forces to advance sharing of information and knowledge of futures topics. Our focus is on future studies, foresight, and futures literacy. So what should you expect? Well, you'll gain direct access to knowledge and information produced by the top minds in this field. WFSF is a UNESCO and UN consultative partner and a truly global NGO with members over 60 countries. So let me say a few words about our guest today, Jerome Glenn. He leads the United Nations Millennium Project and is in charge of a variety of different studies pertaining to the future. He is also the lead researcher of Work Technology 2050, the report we'll be discussing today. So in addition to that, I wanted to tell you that I met him some 20 years ago, and I had just uh, finished working on my dissertation about the future of renewable energy. And I went to the Fast and I met him in a conference, and you know, all the feedback I got from my, my people was, you know, you're a little bit off the thing about future, I don't know. Then I meet this guy who leads the most complex, you know, futures research organization on the planet. The person who literally is trying to tackle the world hunger along with literacy, you know, malaria and all kinds of problems. And he shakes my hand and he asks what I'm doing. And then she says, how great you're on the right track. So I realized, you know, Jerome's job or Jerry for all of us who know him, it's not just leading the most complex futures research organization on the planet, but also to get us excited about the future. And that's why it's my pleasure and great honor to welcome Jerry Glenn to the show today. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> How wonderful to see you and to talk about this beautiful report. I'd like to make one little request. Sure, go ahead. The Millennium Project was born out of the United Nations University in a three-year feasibility study. That's true. But we're an independent global think tank, and we're not the UN Millennium Project because that's a guy named Jeff Sachs mm. who had some scholarly papers done for the Millennium Development Goals that, well, I won't say. Anyway, there were papers written, and they had tremendous public relations. So that to, the, to this day, I get introduced as UN Millennium Project, and it's not the same project. Not a big deal, but just so your listeners don't go, no, wait a minute, he's not running the UN Millennium. That's Jeffrey oh. Sachs. Different guy. Okay. Okay. Thank you. 
So uh, I want to start at the beginning. So in the report you mentioned, uh, we tend to focus on, on impacts or artificial intelligence on robotics, on the future of work, but we do not make distinctions among artificial narrow intelligence, artificial general intelligence, and artificial super intelligence. Could you please explain to us what's the difference? Yeah. yeah I'm glad you're starting off with that because the global conversation on AI slaps all three of these things together and it's a mess. Narrow intelligence is what we have today. It's called narrow because it has a narrow focus. It's still machine learning. It gets smarter. It pulls in all kinds of data. All the things that people talk about, narrow intelligence does, but narrowly. So it so the AI that drives a car does not diagnose cancer, etc. So they're, they're, they're narrow focus and they're growing rapidly all over the world. And we're using it all the time. We don't even know it. General intelligence doesn't exist yet, at least in the public. There's a race going on for general intelligence between the United States and China and Japan and Europe and everybody else. That's, that's the new arms race. But what is this general intelligence? Well, I don't like to say it's human level. You'll hear that a lot because AI narrow when it comes to face recognition is already beyond human level. Playing games, go chess, <laughs> so forth, is already beyond human level. Uh, tax preparation beyond, etc. So there's tons of applications of narrow intelligence that are beyond human, human level intelligence already. So general intelligence is like the human in the sense that we're a general brain. The same brain can drive a car, the same brain can diagnose cancer. And the important part is that we can draw on all kinds of things when we face a new problem. Narrow intelligence can't face a new category. It just, that's not what it's designed for, it's not programmed for that. But general intelligence would be able to make telephone calls, like when you don't know, you might call somebody up. Well, general intelligence can pass the Turing test call somebody expert on the phone. It can go through sensor networks to see what's going on. It can draw on all kinds of stuff. That's general intelligence. Now, we still give general intelligence its mission. We could say to it, solve the Middle East problem, cause world peace, figure out, negotiate, etc. So general intelligence will be able to do all of that much faster than human brains. Because we can't go through billions of Internet of Thing connections in a couple of seconds, which it could. So it will be beyond our ability to address novel problems. Now, the third category is superintelligence, and that's the issue. Superintelligence most likely will emerge from general intelligence without our knowledge, awareness, or understanding. And the reason you hear me pausing like this is it's not clear that this is going to turn out good. And so when Elon Musk and Hawking and all these people say, this could be the last thing that ever gets invented, it could really mess up. Okay. But where we can play today, and I really hope your listeners really get this, it's the transition from narrow to general. That's the only place we can play. If we get the initial conditions right, 
for the creation of general intelligence, then I think we could be okay. Um, but right now there's a race. And when there's a race, as the head of Deep Mind put it at one point, he said, and then when there's a race, we cut corners, which means we might not have the right initial conditions because we're so eager to beat somebody else. Because as Mr. Putin said, whoever runs this stuff runs the world. China says we're going to do it by 2030. They weren't talking about narrow. They may not have made it clear, but that's what we're talking about. So one of the great important challenges for us today is to collaborate globally on what the initial conditions should be, what the treaty should say for all countries to play, because if all countries don't play, Dominica can say, bring your big supercomputers down here. We'll do all that sort of stuff. You can be the first to do your general intelligence, maybe organized crime, who knows? So the whole world has got to get involved in this agreement or it doesn't work. And then an enforcement system. What's the governance system? How do you enforce this? You know, are you going to have audits? Well, I can, we can get into this later on. But there's a lot of ways to enforce it. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought up this distinction because it also brings up the most important thing is to make these distinctions when people talk about the consequences and to say, and by the way, we got to, what are the initial conditions? What, what ought to be the initial conditions of artificial general intelligence? That's, to me, the drama right now. Now, I'm glad you brought so many of those important topics in the report. So let's dwell on this artificial superintelligence for a little longer. Okay. So this new, more advanced intellect, or far, far beyond our capabilities, could be a nightmare, but yeah. it could also be a great opportunity. Yeah. So do you foresee a way for us to integrate it to our bodies or somehow some kind of a way for us to benefit from this? Well, I suppose we augment ourselves with technologies. <laughs> uh, we've been doing that for a long time. Um, and the, the, the most notable uh, case at the moment is Elon Musk's um, Neuralace. Uh, he's got it now, as your, your viewers probably know, down to small enough little fibers, transceiver fibers, interface with a computer, into the brain next to an individual neuron. And I'm not too crazy myself about doing that. <laughs> I'd much rather have charge couple device or some, you know, contact lenses and, you know, clothing, you know, I'd like to integrate it on my body and maybe in my body for certain kinds of uh, measures. I'm a little nervous about the brain interface in the flesh, so to speak. Um, but that is one approach. And, and that's Elon Musk understands everything I just got to say before. And his answer is the way we, if we don't get the initial conditions right and we run into this other stuff, well, let's, let's grow with it. So we start with narrow intelligence in the, in the body, grow to general intelligence, and then if super emerges, we're with it. So it's us. In other words, super intelligence becomes us as much as I am with the glasses. You know, this, this is me. <laughs> it, you know, I can make a distinction, but, you know, when I'm driving or supposedly I'm having these on. So it's a big controversy about how to merge with AI, some people will not want to do it. Like maybe, I don't know what percentage is, it could people change their minds over the years. Um, but if we don't merge, then we have to make sure those initial conditions are right. My attitude is let's do both. Let's do the initial conditions and figure out how to merge in a good way. 
I'm glad you're addressing this. So uh, for 15 years, I was in, in high tech. And I remember very clearly the thoughts we had back then where some people will go the way you were explaining. Some kind of a attachment to the brain, some kind of a microprocessor that will be in, in conjunction with the brain. And then we thought it's going to be a race between the high tech industry and the biochemicals, because others are developing, you know, anabolic steroids, not for the muscles, but for the brain. So yep. some people will supercharge their brains with, you know, technology. Others will supercharge their brains with chemicals. And then there's going to be a big group of people who will resist all of that and say, you guys are, you know, are, are way out there. So we're going to have different, different doors to get to this super intelligence or super augmentation and you're going to have this this large part of the populace that may 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 look at us and say well that's a little bit too much like you said you know i, I can wear some glasses but an implant in the brain i, I am not yeah, so sure so I might, I might change my mind eventually but right now i'm happy to have contact lenses yeah well you know um does it help you grow hair if it does i may be i, I, I may be interested but you know, I don't know. We'll uh, sorry about that. It's okay, we'll uh, probably you know have to ignore this a little bit as a society and decide whether you know what we want and, and how yeah. we're gonna get there, right? Uh, so on the report, you made another strong statement, and uh, you talk about the next technologies, and one of them that you mentioned was synthetic biology. Right. And you mentioned it could have an impact on of the future civilization as significant as the advent of the steam engine. Right. So why is that? Well, the, the the industrial revolution to a large degree was was mixing and managing um, between matter and energy and new relationships with products that people wanted to make life better. Right. But that was matter and energy. It wasn't biology. Uh, the steam engine, as far as we know, is not a living thing. But with, we remember the old genome, old, the genome project, uh, and they called that they were figuring out the alphabet of life. Well, what do you do with an alphabet? You make words, and the words make sentences. Sentences make chapters. Chapters make books. Books makes libraries. Libraries make civilization. So as you mix and match biology capabilities genetic materials and so forth um, from different species. So this is a difference. Let me pause. Um, we, people talk about gene editing. And like you can take a rose and you can change some genetic structures to make it glow at nighttime. But it's still a rose. It's just a glowing rose. But synthetic biology, that's why they call it synthetic, you're synthesizing. You can take some genetic material from blue gene algae, maybe some genetic material from an eagle, maybe a, a genetic material from uh, a human, etc., and figure out how they can actually work together to create a new capability. How many new capabilities of life could be created through all the genetic material on the planet? That's gigantic. Think of how many things nature does that we can't do and don't even necessarily understand. We're still not quite sure, as far as I know, how we separate the, the hydrogen, oxygen, and carbon stuff in photosynthesis. 
you know, basis of all of our stuff. We don't fully understand it. But if we start to understand these things, how to put these things together, then we can literally recreate our whole relationship with nature. And one of the things that kind of surprised me is, uh, and I did not know that, uh, but uh, nowadays tomato in the U.S. has fish genes. And I tried to understand, but why on earth do we have fish genes in tomatoes? Well, well, because the fish scales are tough. Now, yeah. they made the skin of the tomato very tough. And the biologist explained to me, while the skin was very fragile and there was a lot of damaging of the tomato, a lot of waste. Yeah. A lot of tomatoes were going That's to waste. That's a because perfect example. That's a perfect example. Exactly right. So who knows where fish genes will end up? You know, but but uh, I know. you know you know I know it's kind of Frankenstein tomato, but uh, it is more resistant. It's still the tomato I can eat. Is right. it's just the skin's more resistant? You know, it's right. just a small thing. Yeah. Okay, so I wanted to get into some of kind of the uh, the more touchy things uh, about the report. So every time we talk about technology in the workplace. Let me come back to one quick little comment about synthetic biology in the report. It'll be interesting for your listeners. Before we did the work, we always read everybody else's stuff we can get our hands on, of course. And I can tell you not one future of technology work and technology, unemployment and all that sort of stuff, not one mentioned synthetic biology once. And I went through somewhere being 30 to 50 reports, not one, because I would do a, you know, a search on it, synthetic bio, none, none of them, none of them, as if that's only AI has got to do with the unemployment. A simple example of, of not a tomato, but another example, imagine you took genetic material that would make something a sphere, but really small, take some genetic material that makes it sticky, that makes it want to go after dust, et cetera, and make them real small. So you imagine you have like a pile of powder here, you put it in the corner of your, your office building or your home, and slowly, all night long, it's rolling around, getting the dust. And at the other end of the house or building, you come in the morning, and there's a pile of dirt. And you separate the dirt from the little organisms, and then you keep it there. And then the next night, you do the same thing. So that gets rid of vacuum cleaners, vacuum cleaner salesmen, vacuum cleaner repair, et cetera, et cetera. So synthetic biology will have a big impact on unemployment, just not just like, but similar to AI. And nobody in any study I saw, touched it at all. You mentioned that in the report. So I wanted to ask you a follow-up on that. So is it because, so for example, we when we talk about the US and, and other cultures, for example, the Europeans, are they, they really like their food not to be altered in so yeah. many ways like we yeah. do out here in the US. Yeah. You think this is cultural and they just decided they will write this thing off or it was sort of, well, we we don't know or we don't want to go there. What do you think? So why is it that we're not talking about this when we should? Oh, boy. Yeah, that's a really controversial one. I go with my own colleagues on this all the time. <laughs> I'm not sure how you feed another 2 or 1.8 billion people between here and 2050 with our current agricultural practice. Our current agricultural practice already uses, uh, what, 70% of our portable water. And uh, most of that's used for growing animals that we hack hunks of their muscle out and eat them. Um, I mean, there's so many things that have to change in agriculture. 
One of the good news, by the way, of that last climate change uh, conference up in Scotland was they talked about methane because then agriculture comes in the conversation because agriculture has always been off the side. It's been energy and it's been transportation. Agriculture, what you eat, is a very big deal of this thing. So it seems to me if we can learn how to manage molecules and DNA uh, and other, other technical systems, um, like making using stem cells to produce meat rather than grow a cow. Every businessman wants to cut out the middleman. Well, what's the middleman? It's the animal. Cut out the middle animal, and you'll use less water and you know all that better environmental deal. It, problems are scaling up at the moment, so we're not there yet. No, I'm not talking about the plant stuff. I'm talking about the real pure meat stuff. Um, now, people, I have in this conference to take that, that an example. I've talked to people that say, "Well, that's artificial, horrible lab." Da 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 da. I said, "Yeah, yeah. Well, what what do you did you know that seven times more drugs are sold in the world?" for animals to prevent disease than for humans. So when we get this, quote, nice, good meat, a lot of times that's full of all kinds of stuff. Um, and so if we went just from the genetic material directly, to me, it's more pure meat. So uh, it, 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 it also causes problems because in Judaism and in, in Islam, they say, oh, don't do any pig. Okay. What's the reason for that? Take all those reasons and then say, okay, I'm going to go from the, the pig cell to to a, to a, to a, to a meat. It, it eliminates a lot of it. So there's, there's going to be a big conversation on this thing. And you're right. Uh, people that are purists are, are purists for certain reasons. Okay. Can we address those reasons properly? Don't dismiss them properly so that we can actually feed another 1.8 billion people coming up. And, the, and, and don't forget that you still have a lot of poor people that don't get a good nutrition deal. So we want them to come up as well as the other 1.8. So we have a gigantic mission to satisfy our European friends, which I certainly respect the idea of having good, pure food. But how can we do this with our synthetic biology and with our AI, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? That's the challenge. So I would not dismiss the European attitude at all. I want to have good, healthy food. But on the same token, we have to think about feeding everybody on the planet. So we have to come right. up with some solution that accommodates right. all sides. Right. Yeah, I was in Vermont for some time, and you have these farmers doing such lovely organic stuff. I say, okay, now, how do we scale this up for the whole world population? And like, blah, 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 blah. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Well, uh, so I just want to add, uh, you know, address another topic. So every time we talk about technology in the workplace, the fear of massive unemployment comes to mind. So uh, yet this is not all that you found, right? Let's talk about the scenario one. It is compli complicated, a mixed bag. Can you describe what happens to employment in this scenario? Yeah, well, a mixed bag means it's 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 it's, it's, a, it's just some good stuff. There's some intelligent stuff. There's some dumb stuff. And so it's, it's, a, it's a, so what I will say will be contradicted by the next paragraph in there almost. Um, one of the big variables in the first scenario is we have an awful lot of uh, venture capital money around the world. I, I I don't have the statistics, but we have a lot of it sort of hanging out, um, and a lot of that investors would like to go into these synthetic biologies and all these sort of things, but the, but there's not enough agreement about it yet. 
to to do the to the lower the risk. There is a lot of people putting into this idea of cell-based meat. I mentioned that's 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 in process. That's a lot of invest. There's a whole lot of other stuff that can go. So the idea in scenario one is that you get enough global consensus that we want to go into new kinds of synthetic biology. The, the consensus of the world isn't there. The world is, the world's not even aware of it yet to have a consensus. But when we get enough awareness that synthetic biology is okay, or a certain way of doing it is okay, then I think an awful lot of this money is going to pour into it. Because most hotshot, big-time investment folks are very aware of synthetic biology coming up as a, as maybe bigger than the Industrial Revolution. Imagine if you're at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution and you invested in all the key areas of, of the future of the Industrial Revolution, you'd make a fortune. They understand that, but they can't commit until there's we're further down the road because your money will be sitting there doing nothing for years. So one of the big assumptions is that somewhere around 2030-ish or so, that 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 the, the world starts to change on this. And, and then there, as a result, then tons of investment money moves into this. When it does, that's a whole lot of um, jobs and uh, employment and activities, double checking things, you know, checking. There's a lot to be done with it, just like there's a lot to be done with the Industrial Revolution. So that's the main assumption why you end up with slightly, you, you don't totally end up with the, uh, the, um, the, the negative scenario. Of the mass unemployment, and another is, is part of that too, is scenario one. Governments do start to not all, but some governments do start to take seriously artificial general intelligence in public. I mean, a hot chat governments already know this is a big deal, but it's not public. Uh, it's when it gets more public and people start to understand that we have to manage this artificial general intelligence, and if we do. We can have transition activities where we, we start to plan for this. And in that planning, you end up with a lot of solutions that are de detailed in there. I don't want to go through all of the stuff and bore you to death. But some governments did it well. Some governments didn't do it well. The governments that did it well, obviously, didn't have the big unemployment problem. Those that didn't anticipate, it had a mess. And then you've got a lot of mi migration stuff going on with that scenario, too. Yeah, so you also mentioned universal basic income in the report. So yeah. is this the way of the future? Are we going to see some form of basic income deployed on a global level? It's 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 hard for me to deny its inevitability. Of course, nothing is, you know, <laughs> inevitable, I guess. But um, right now we've got um, shortage of labor for a lot of these things. Because of, partly because of the pandemic lately and changed a lot of assumptions about things. Um, but the big deal isn't the narrow intelligence, as I mentioned in the beginning. It's the general. The general is the one that cuts across a lot of systems. So there's a result. It hits you faster and more systematically than narrow does. Because narrow intelligence, you can forecast unemployment. You can say, truck drivers, all right? How many truck manufacturers are making AI robot you can count them. You know, what are they going to be delivered? I mean, you can do some straight mathematical analysis to figure out right, this many people will be unemployed in one year, this many in the next year. And, you know, you can plan for that. But general cuts across everything. You can't plan for that in the same way. N not in the same way. Um, so the, my feeling is what we need to do today is 
in much of it is there's a lot of experiments Canada's doing India Brazil Botswana there's a lot of countries have done some experiments and they have shown it doesn't just make people lazy by and large it's a good thing okay that's done but now what we have to do is cash flow projections when you go to a bank with a business you say here's my cash flow projection this is how much I need this is how I can pay it back and here's my evidence we got to do that same thing with cash flow how much to how many people what period of time? Where's the new money coming in? And when I did this scenario three, which had it more, there was some of it. There's a mixed bag, and number one had some too, but three was it was a big deal. Um, I was shocked to find out that nobody had done a cash flow projection. I mean, I, I talked to Finland twice, the prime minister's office. They said we're going to do it, we're going to do it, and didn't do it. Talked to the community of the future, didn't do it. Uh, other people said, oh, we'll get it. I, I even had an intern from Italy who's now in parliament. Oh, we'll do it. Still, they haven't done. Because I want to know, is it financially sustainable? Uh, I mean, when we looked at it today, it was something like in the U.S., it was something like almost the entire federal budget would be required to have universal basic income. So you can't do that. So it depends when you start, because there's two big variables on this. One is as these new technologies come up or next technologies come up, that's all kinds of new areas for taxation. The popular one to talk about is taxing robots and AI and so forth. So that begins over a period of time, all, all, all kinds of new wealth can be taxed, comes into that. So that, that, then the other thing is that your cost of living, which is related to what how much you gotta pay people to, so they're not thrown in the streets. They're not gonna make much, but keep them off the streets. You'll start to see the cost of living still is going up. But you'll notice in certain areas, it's starting, it, it, it goes down. So in general, like diagnosing cancer, expensive. But now it's a keystroke on AI. So a lot of stuff's, you know, still going up. But if we figure roughly around 2030, 2035, that area, you'll start to have this bell curve. So what you have to pay people will be less in the future than what you had to pay them today. Because a lot of a lot of services could be free, you know. There's a lot of cities that are experimenting with free transportation in cities, and you know, a lot of things are, are, are moving in that direction. So, what I'd like to see is cash flow projections with different assumptions of cost of living, different assumptions about where the income's coming up, and when you start it. Like right now, you can't start in the United States. Maybe in 2030, 2035, yeah, you probably can. And will we go in that direction? I think that we have to because. When, especially when you had general people keep forecasting about narrow intelligence having impact and that's not as big a deal as general they're not talking about the general so it, it it's like we will if we don't if we keep asleep by 2030 2035 when we possibly could have it they'll be shocking if you go you know unemployment like a every year so that you can plan you can you can adjust and so, but when you have shocks in the system that's when you have social disorders we have to prevent that. I would like to prevent that if possible. Well, certainly that would be um, a major desirable thing. So you have the mixed bag, but then you have on scenario two, which you called future despair, where the unemployment situation appears to be really, really critical. So could you please explain what is technological unemployment yeah. and what can we do to avoid that? Right. Well, technological unemployment just takes the word apart. It, it's, it's as technology advances and replaces human labor, uh, that's technological unemployment. Um, there's not a whole lot of um, 
uh, people working on the, the shoes for horses anymore. It was a lot of people did that before now. So those would be technological unemployment. Um, the thing with scenario two, what makes it so bad, is that the leaders of the world don't take general intelligence seriously. Uh, they take narrow a bit serious, but they're still pretty naive about it. Um, not to disparage economists, but most economists are not as up on technology as, say, you are. <laughs> so to speak. Um, and so they don't gear in to the whole policy projections, uh, the technology changes. Uh, one of the um, rules of thumb of technology change is, is that it the scientific basis for the transition into technology tends to happen much faster than we think is possible as a generalization. But the application of it tends to go much slower than is reasonable. So we're, we're really slow at picking things up, but we eventually pick them up. So in this situation, countries don't pay attention to these big changes, don't prepare for it at all. You have ma massive unemployment can hit can change from one year to the next, like 10% or something. big hits like this. It's, then you have a lot of social disorganization and organized crime and, and, and large corporations take in to fill the gap to, to provide stability to some degree, but within their own fiefdoms, not for everybody else. Um, but going back to your, your, the, the essence of your initial question is because we didn't take the changes of synthetic biology, artificial general intelligence, and these other ones, I lent other technologies too, didn't take them seriously and didn't prepare as a result. People were shocked by it and they couldn't recover in time. So then you have this ricochet effect of, of unemployment, therefore they can't buy, so your buying power goes down. So it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a vicious circle bringing down the society. I see. So uh, let's move to uh, scenario three. So yeah. not, not, not everything is despair, right? So uh, in scenario three, the self-actualization economy, you envision a situation where advances actually free us from those petty tasks and we'll be free to pursue self-actualization goals, for example. This seems to be the desirable future. So how do we get there? Yeah. Well, we are, you can make the case that we are moving in that direction. If you take uh, the Maslow hierarchy, you know, uh, physical needs, uh, what is it? Uh, more than half the world was in extreme poverty um, in 1980. Today, it's closer to 7%. And we've actually had population growth as well. And it, but it's still 8% or so now in extreme poverty. Uh, so we're beginning to have some of the physical needs met by civilization as a whole. Um, and Maslow hierarchy, then you also have the self-esteem and safety and so forth. Safety is still a bit <laughs> questionable, but for the majority of people, it is safe. I mean, the news tells us what's the most terrible things humans did today. But that's not what's happening in the whole planet. You walk down the street, hit your toe, your total tension's on your toe, but your heart's still beating, you're still breathing, you're still digesting food. I mean, that's the majority, your whole body is doing fine. And that's similar to the human being. We do the state of the future index, and we're showing that we're winning more than we're losing, or we're losing is very serious, but we're winning more. So we have no right to be pessimistic. Uh, we have no right to go to sleep either. But the, the, the general trend is moving up the Maslow's hierarchy. We've got all this social media, 
for better or worse, taking care of a lot of people's affiliation and social needs and, and, and love and belonging sort of stuff is beginning to move. So we're slowly as a whole body of humanity, slowly moving up the hierarchy. It, I understand that Maslow was talking about individuals, but you can apply it to society as a whole too. So self-actualization does seem to be the direction if we make smart decisions along the way. And in scenario three, you do have smart decisions along the way. Governments do say, oh my God, 10 years, this is possible. So what do we have to put in place in, the, in between to get there? For example, labor unions, business, government universities can collaborate on a database system to start to forecast what sort of jobs are going first, second, third, and so forth, and how much. And then new information can come in and make the model better. So then we can start to say, oh, my work could be gone in seven years. Okay, so then I then can start to figure out how to train myself in new ways, new ways of doing it. But I might do it in ways that I'm interested in. So slowly we're starting to say, what is my passion? You know, you always hear these interviews with these, you know, great successful people. What's your secret? And the answer was follow your passion. Well, you couldn't follow your passion in, in, in the past much. You only had certain certain opportunities for jobs. You couldn't travel too far, etc. Now we've got a global collective intelligence system evolving across the planet so that you can find markets for what you want to do anyway. I mean, I should juggle every day. This is good for my brain. So I don't do this, but I should. Maybe I'll talk myself into it. It's to take out a little blog or a little thing on the internet saying, I will teach you how to juggle for one euro in a half a you know a day. And you you the video comes on. You do, so you can start to make a living out of your own development. Who wants to, who's interested in what you're doing? If I'm going to Paris, going to Louvre, I might want to say, hey, who wants to go with me? Put on a little card thing, uh, glasses and or my little camera. And, I, and, the, and the other people are coming in saying, electronically coming in saying, what's that mummy over there? So I walk over there. Oh, that's King Tut, etc. So that you can have a virtual tourism run by individuals on their vacations. And that and they get enough money for a nice fancy lunch or dinner or whatever. Uh, and maybe even take care of their hotel stays. So I think that, that this is possible, but it, it also depends on the arts. Why? Arts run culture. <laughs> culture runs behavior. Behavior runs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You just take these out. So if the television script writers, movie producers and writers, um, songwriters, if they start to say, hey, imagine a world where it's cool to be, quote, self self-employed, that you have moved from your work job, found your hobbies, developed your hobbies into income sources, and then you move in that direction. Well, can, can, can we start to see that in the arts? In the United States in the 60s and 70s, people talk about our, quote, cultural revolution. Well, what did it come from? It came from music. Where did music come from? The writers. So by sitting down and hanging out with the writers, putting the values in that you want on this transition, the artists can help this transition occur in scenario three, because right now we identify ourselves based upon what our employer says we are. I am an economist. 
I am a bricklayer. I am an actor. Who said? The person who employs you said that's who you are. So we get our identity through our work and employment. So if you're, if all that's gone, if that, if that slowly goes away, you can come insecure. You'd be, I'm naked to the world. My God, I don't have somebody making sure that I got my money. How do I? That's a very nervous state. The society is not there. So to help society make that shift, to not have that identity crisis, that's where the arts come in. So you've got in scenario three, you've got the governments get smart about technology and the transition and the arts get involved. So those are two big variables that don't have as much in the, in the, in the other scenarios. I think Andy Warhol was self-employed. So he came up with a lot of good things. So perhaps we need another one to come up and uh, yeah. help us say, hey, this is cool. This is the yeah. one to go. Well, you're an example, my friend. You are interested in what you're doing. Yes. Right? That's you passion. like it. You're following your passion, I think. I do. I, you know, it's, I no longer have any hair to pull out, so I can, <laughs> I can follow my passion. <laughs> So I wanted to talk to you about practical things. So uh, on the real-time Delphi, right, because you guys did a very, very, very thorough study and you identified 22 government and governance actions to be taken. And among one of them, I think, was establishing a national independent technology forecasting and assessment agency right. to inform us about the future technology and their impacts. And to be honest with you, this study is the first one to talk about, quote, impact of technology in a systematic way. So uh, the panel narrated this section as both effective and feasible, yet mm -hmm. we are, we're not there yet. So what do we need to do in order to ensure that this, quote, agency will materialize, will be a real thing? Do we write to my congressperson in Washington? So what yeah. can we do? <laughs> All of the above, everything, <laughs> the kitchen sink. Um, I, there's a, there is a, a, a swell, I can sort of feel, I remember when the United States had the Office of Technology Assessment, a lot of futures and oh my God, and they sort of like cried in the corner. And then they complained for years. I'm beginning to feel that conversation change to like, like your question, why don't we do that? Now, I can give you maybe some good news from the UN. The UN created what's called, the Secretary General called the Our Common Agenda which we can talk about maybe another day a bit. Uh, and in there was the idea of a futures lab, a, a UN futures lab. And it would pull together all these forecasts and all the technology and the rest of it so that if countries can't afford to have their own OTA system, or even if the United States doesn't create its own, at least this would be available to all the labor unions, to the universities, to politicians and so forth. So the idea of thinking ahead about technology and their impacts is dramatically different than it was in the past. And I'll give you one example, and it has to do with you and doing this interview. I was involved in what was called X.25. It's a packet switch. It's the reason the internet is cheap. It makes a packet out of your stuff, condenses it, zips it up to a satellite, sends it around the world, does what it's supposed to do. But the amount of satellite time is, you can be on this, like we can on this on a, all, all this time, like, but when you, you have these packages, it's just a small amount of satellite. That's what makes it very cheap. Anyway, so I was involved in getting these things around the world, the third world, and including dictatorships. We thought this is a, like a magic wand. We're going to go around the world and make everybody happy. Connecting up all the knowledge. This is great. This is great. We did, we did think a little bit about information warfare, but not all of us, but some of us. 
But we didn't think about pornography, coordination of, of, of terrorism, uh, the silos making it sort of dumb in certain areas and not knowledgeable across the board. We didn't think about it. There was very little technology assessment done at that time. Now, years later, 40, 50 years later, you take a look at artificial intelligence. There is tons of technology forecasting activities going on with this stuff. It may not be as aggressive as good as I'd like, but it is tremendous. Like as we speak, there's probably several conferences, world conferences on artificial intelligence as we speak. Tons of articles. There's a books, all kinds of stuff. I've even sit, by the way, on IEEE's AI governance uh, working group, where we actually get down to defining when somebody sees it, it has to be transparent. Well, what does that mean? How do you measure it? What's the audit? I mean, IEEE, you work on all these sort of stuff. I don't remember. I don't remember much at all technology assessment uh, on the beginning of the internet, but there is tons of it on artificial intelligence, and I kind of keep track, and I can't. There's just tons of it. so that to me proves that this interest in creating technology assessment, forecasting, the rest of it has dramatically increased. So I wouldn't be a bit surprised if the United States does come up with it again. Um, and I also expect it to happen within the UN within a year, a year or two. They've still got to get enough people to back the ideas, commercial, back the idea. Um, so shows like yours and others that talk the idea up. First, we got to talk it up, get some interest going. But I think it's inevitable. And, if you, and again, if the U.S. doesn't do it, the U.N. may. And that's one of the reasons why I do this, is to get people excited like you, to get people excited about the future, but thinking about it. So how do we get there? It, it doesn't magically happen. We need to put you know, you know, blood, sweat, and tears in some effort, right? If we wanted to see it, if we co-construct it and we get to a better future, it takes all of us, but we need to kind of have some kind of coordination and some thought, some systematic approach to this or else. Going to be kind of crazy. Well, talking of which, you know, uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, if, if you don't know where we're going, you know, anywhere you go, it, it's fine. So let's talk a little bit about leading indicators, right? So it's important we understand where we are going. So what indicators should we be monitoring or what should we be paying attention to right now? Well, there's indicators and there's indicators and there's layers with indicators to other indicators. So I almost know where, where to begin. So I'll just arbitrarily begin. We create what's called a state of the future index. And the idea is if the future of the world or a country is better in 10 years, what does that mean? What would you measure? And that conversation is useful because it, it, it makes the conversation about the future much more concrete. Do you mean lowering infant mortality? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good indicator. No matter what country, what ideology, I don't care who you are, you don't want to have babies dying. Uh, so we have about 30 of these kind of indicators, and they can go on our website and they can, they can see them on the State of the Future Index. Um, the, the, there used to be, and somebody, maybe one of your listeners can come in and, and correct me, but the U.S. Department of Commerce used to do something that's very beautiful. It would tell you what was patented and how many other countries uh, they took out a license for of some sort. Of course, that would tell you which inventions are more likely to succeed because if you're only in one spot and your competitor is in a whole bunch of countries and eh, it, it, that's an that's an example of a lead indicator how many countries a particular 
uh, patent and, and it was being worked out in. But to my knowledge, Department of Commerce stopped that uh, doing. Maybe somebody else is doing it right now. But another thing that your listeners can do is do a Google search on leading indicators of the future because there's a lot of them. I mean, the Finland's doing some very nice work. The European Union is doing some work. Uh, there's all kinds of you know think tanks around the world that are doing these kinds of work. Um, one of the things that I tend to keep track of myself is how are we doing on, on quantum bits? Because quantum computing can, can become a big deal. Uh, also, the speed is another one I keep track of. Um, but it's really, instead of like just a few of them, we like to have an aggregate bunch of uh, lead indicators uh, for the future. And that's our State of the Future Index. Um, reason I'm hesitating is because I don't want to say, well, here's the best indicator because there's a whole bunch of stuff. Like what's the best indicator for your body's health? Well, respiration, temperature, heart rate, etc. But it's also a whole bunch of blood tests. I mean, look at how many blood tests things are measured in your blood test. Um, but I guess what I would suggest to your reader or your, your viewers is what is it that you care about, how it ought to change and what you would notice in that change. And then go, do Google searches. Um, Google's got what is it, do Google alerts, I think it is. Uh, and you can put in whatever indicators you want. And every day you get old, whatever articles were written about that. So that's a lazy man's guide to, to indicators. The other is just keep track of other people who are keeping track of indicators. That's not a bad stuff. Either. So uh, one other thing that is kind of uh, concerning uh, and that I found very important, you know, in people's minds as well, so another preoccupation is this increasing concentration of wealth. So yeah. in, in the three scenarios that, you know, presently are presently considered, how can we achieve some sort of a more equitable spread of wealth? Is there yeah. a path there? Yeah. Well, there's several elements to that. One, the conventional is to tax the wealthy. And, um, the recent 15% guaranteed tax, corporate tax, uh, that has been agreed to by the G7 and the G20, and recently agreed to in the President Biden's legislation. So we may move to that direction. Uh, that This is an element of it. There's a bunch of stuff here, but one element is to get rid of these tax havens because, you know, Part of the concentration of wealth is, is protecting it somewhere. So if, if you start to have a universal uh, tax, all countries, 15%, then it, 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 it attracts the, um, the, the money laundering and all the rest of that. Secondly, uh, India has done some experiments on it, but I haven't seen the research on, on it impact yet. He's trying to make all the transactions electronic because then it's harder to hide money. I mean, because concentration of wealth, <laughs> now there's a legitimate concentration of wealth, which wouldn't necessarily be addressed by that, the tax either would, but, the, is, is, but anyway, taxing is one part of the strategy, the whole approach of taxing. A second part, uh, as you mentioned, is the universal basic income. Now, that, uh, that, that, that can uh, help the poverty level, but it doesn't necessarily address the concentration of wealth, but it makes the society happier in that sense. Another part of the top, top town is we have something that's just not being taken seriously yet and should be. And that is these, you, you hear about these GoFundMe pages and, and, and different sort of ideas. One of the way that a lot of money is made is getting in early on on various technologies. I remember a guy that had the money into frozen yogurt 
eh, he did pretty well. <laughs> if we were even poor people, if we were able to put a couple of dollars to some sort of system, say, oh, that's going to that's a good idea. I like that product. I want to see that happen. I'll put my two cents into here. If 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 the whole world starts to get engaged in putting their two cents into different investment strategies that they like, the thing, the kind of future, you're voting for your future financially in a sense, then as those things grow, so your wealth can grow as well. Um, the concentration of wealth is is just, I'm stuttering because it's really tough to get around, but I would say uh, the tax, changing tax policies is one part. Uh, getting people into, into easy investment streams that they can start with $1 or a small amount uh, is an, another part of it, and universal basic income, so you're not a nervous wreck all the time, so at least you're out of that, so then you can think about other sort of activities. So that, even in scenario three, the, the, the concentration of wealth and the, the gap what was addressed a bit, but it wasn't solved. I don't see solving it yet. I, just don't see, I see it having an impact on it. But it's it's really hard to solve. Yes, that is true. That's why I asked you. <laughs> so uh, one last question is really inviting criticism and, and asking your guidance. I want to talk specifically about media, right? Uh, so if you think about you know all those things you're talking about, emerging technologies, the scenario. So it's very complex and will require very transparent communications. And sadly. Media today is mostly propaganda war, either you know one way or another, left or right. So, what role do you think media should fulfill to ensure we arrive at this best possible future? So, what's your advice, guidance, right. criticism? Uh, what should media do? There was a guy named Ted Turner some years ago, back in the seventies, had some advisor informal groups giving advice of which I participated. And I said, problem possibility format was not my original idea. It was a guy named Robert Theobald, Bob Theobald, an early futurist. A lot of people don't even remember him, but he was, he was very much into guaranteed income as well, by the way. <coughs> um, he talked about a problem possibility format. You say here in Bangladesh, the flooding da -da 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 occurred or here in India, the flooding da -da -da -da, or here in um, Pakistan, da -da -da. And by the way, today we just figured out here's a new way to affect the, the, the flooding and the seawater agriculture because the salt water comes in. You got to have saltwater agriculture. You, know, you can't do freshwater agriculture. So there was like problem, possibility, problem, possibility, problem, possibility. Now, one early indicator this is still possible to happen. He, he didn't do it, by the way. They had it, they said, yeah, that's a cool idea. But they've turned out it was a lot harder to find out what, what's, the, <laughs> what's the solution to these things. And it was a harder format, and so they gave up on it. Uh, but that's still a legitimate thing to say. That, and, and another part of it is you can have commentary. Like you have a sports event, and then you have the person comment on the event. There's an, and just the same with the, they bring, well, bring in the economist to say, you know, bring in a comment. Okay, fine. They could have the futurist comment. You know, X occurred today, and the producers call around, all right, who, what futurist out there has got a comment on this? So that you could have X occurred, future implications, or future alternatives, and so you can. So it's 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 related to that problem possibility format. So that that's a, a big big part of it, right there. I would say. Wonderful. Well, you know, it seems we have a lot more to talk about, but we'll have to save some more time and some more discussion for another day. We know, Jerry. Thank you so much for your being here with me and the audience today. It's really 
a great opportunity you know to hear you know what you're doing where you're going uh, what should we be paying attention to so i hope uh you can come back and have one of those conversations again thank you <laughs> Okay, folks, so uh, it's time for me to start to say uh, my thank yous. So, you know, stay tuned. This show in focus is broadcast via Futures Television, our home of the future in television. We broadcast via Roku TV and Apple TV. This show is available freely via the Roku stick on Roku enabled TV sets and using your Apple TV box. Look for Futures Television and do add us to your list of preferred channels. This show is also broadcast via Radio Futures, the radio of the future on the radio. You can also find this show and all the other episodes on www.wfsf.org. Check us out. Again, thank you so very much for joining us today. I hope to see you again soon in another episode of In Focus. You can rest assured we have a list of great guests ready to share their views with you. And now I will leave you with our institutional message. Thank you. <laughs>